le mouvement patriotique pour la sauvegarde et la restauration MPSR, réuni ce jour 30 septembre 2022 à Ouagadougou, a délibéré et décidé ce qui suit. 1. Le lieutenant-colonel Paul-Henri Sandago Damiba est démis de ses fonctions de président du MPSR. 2. Le capitaine Traoré Ibrahim est nommé président du MPSR pour compter de ce jour. 1. La constitution est suspendue. 2. La charte de la transition est dissoute. 3. Le gouvernement est dissous. 4. L'assemblée législative de transition est dissoute. 5. Les frontières terrestres et aériennes sont fermées pour compter du 30 septembre 2022 à 00h et ce jusqu'à nouvel ordre. 6. Un couvre-feu est instauré de 21h à 05h. 7. Toute activité politique est suspendue. 8. Toute activité des organisations de la société civile est suspendue. 9. Les forces vives de la nation seront convoquées incessamment à l'effet d'adopter une nouvelle charte de la transition et de désigner un nouveau président du FASO, civil ou militaire. Greetings, greetings. Welcome back, everybody, to your favorite podcast, The Africanist. I am your host, Bomba, and today I'm back with another special guest to talk about the current situation in Burkina Faso. So as you may know, Burkina Faso is currently experiencing another coup, and uh, the situation is quite confusing. It's a country that has gone through a lot of political turmoil since the fall of Blaise Compaoré in 2014. And this week, we have another uh, coup led by a young captain named Ibrahim Traoré. Now, to talk about that, I have invited Dr. Lassan Wedraogo. And Dr. Wedraogo is a lecturer at Université Joseph Kizerbo, the Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. He holds a PhD in Media Studies, an MA in African Studies from Ohio University, and he is also a Fulbright alumnus. His research interests include Islam in Africa and contemporary African media and politics. He was an Africa is a Country inaugural fellow at the New School in New York City and had researched and written about youth social movements on university campuses in West Africa. Dr. Uedraogo is also an analyst of political governance, media, and conflict in Sahelian West Africa. In that capacity, he has contributed on several news media outlets including SABC News from South Africa, News Central TV from Nigeria, and Al Jazeera. Dr. Wedraogo, welcome to The Africanist. Thank you so much, Dr. Bamba, and uh, thank you for having me join your podcast today. So first of all, how are you and how is your family? You are currently in Waga the center of the political upheaval. How are you? How are you doing? Thank God I am doing great. My family is fine as well. Um, overall, uh, we are fine in Ouagadougou, although there's a lot of uh, movement, a lot of people gathering here and there. Uh, there has not been any um, confrontations between people or confrontation between the people and police or um, the military, for that matter, in a way that would put people's lives at risk. So I've been fine, although I've been driving around and walking around at, at times this morning, seeking to understand or see or um, see what is happening. Glad to hear that. So could you please describe to us the current political situation in Waga, but also the rest of the country? What happened this week? Well, um, September on September 30th, um, in the morning, uh, we woke up. Uh, I live in the southern side of Ouagadougou. So obviously by 4 a.m., 
I could hear gunshots. Uh, it was really um, uh, loud gunshots coming from Waga de Mil, and Waga de Mil is uh, um, that section of the city where we have uh, our presidential palace, Kosiam. And uh, I jumped onto social media, and what I was seeing is that um, there's a group of uh, military um, uh, uh, who are actually doing a coup. So a coup was obviously underway early that Friday morning, and we all learned that from social media, but we also learned from uh, the gunshots that we could hear. And things move quickly. And this evening, we have a new um, president, if we can call him so. We have a new leader. Up to today at noon, he was referring to himself as uh, um, the chair of the M. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the political movement um, or the military movement, the group. He was declaring himself as the leader of the movement. But this afternoon, he was uh, unanimously by his peers recognized as president of uh, Burkina or chef de l'Etat. So, um, so obviously, to cut it short, Burkina had seen its second coup d'etat in two, in in the span of one year following the coup d'etat of uh, January 24th 2022 which showed arrival to power of Colonel Damiba so this time around it is Captain Traore Ibrahim who together with his men um, are in control of Burkina Faso right now so as we speak it's uh, Sunday, October 2nd, and you said that Captain Ibrahim Traoré is officially or unofficially the president of Burkina Faso, right? Yes. Okay. Because uh, the thing is, there was a lot of confusion up until yesterday. Damiba did not confirm that he was leaving the power. And there were a lot of conflicting uh, narratives about his whereabouts, but also who was in control of the power. Uh, yesterday, uh, the uh, men of uh, Captain Traore Ibrahim were on national television calling the people of Ouagadougou and the people of Burkina Faso to come out in support of the movement because Colonel Damiba had uh, reportedly been uh, in hiding at the French military base in Ouagadougou and uh, he's reportedly organizing a counter-offensive to uh, um, fail the, the, the coup. So they were demanding the, Waga, the, the people of Ouagadougou to come out and uh, get between uh, to support them to to prevent that from happening and a lot of people had actually come out and uh, stayed all night in some of the streets thousands of wagales have been out in support of the coup and uh, some of them have even marched to the french embassy demanding that uh, damiba be released at once or that damiba be um that the French stopped supporting um, Damiba. And of course, the French embassy had issued a statement to uh, um, say that uh, that allegation is totally wrong. And Damiba himself managed to post something on uh, his official Facebook page claiming that he is not hiding with the French. Um, so there was a lot of confusion going on. Um, and we didn't know what was going to happen because obviously a part of the army did not rally with the new strongmen. They were still in support of Damiba and Damiba knew that uh, their support meant a lot, uh, especially the Air Force men uh, did not respond to Captain Traore's calls earlier yesterday. Up to this morning, uh, they finally... Uh, surrounded and agreed to uh, 
join Captain Traor Ibrahim uh, and his men as the new uh, leader of the, the junta. And what is to be clearly stated here too, is that this new group was part of Damiba's initial coup in mm. 22. It is not a group that is external to the coup of 2022. And according to the very first communique on national television, Damiba had uh, sort of a derailed from the initial goal of the coup of the of the 20 the January 2022 coup, which was to fight against terrorism, to find ways and means to stop the advance of uh, jihadists who are now occupying more than 40% of the national territory, according to official data. And Damiba had turned into a politician. He has been doing politics, he's been meddling with politics and not being um, focusing on uh, the fight against jihadism. So that is primarily mm. the, the reason why these young officers have decided to take control. And in their communication, they have uh, stressed the idea that uh, over the past couple of weeks, they have been in communication with Damiba, telling him over and over to stop doing politics and to recenter his focus on the fight against terrorism. But Damiba obviously has uh, tasted um, the delicacies of uh, power and uh, he did not seem to be super, super interested in that, according to them. From that claim that Damiba and his regime were not fighting efficiently the jihadists, what are the demands or what else pushes them to overthrow Damiba? One of the claims that are transpiring from the communications we have heard from the junta and its new leader, Captain Traore Ibrahim is the fact that uh, uh, Damiba is too close to France and Damiba is not willing in, to some extent to diversify Burkina's partners, international partners in the fight against uh, the terrorists. And uh, in a disturbing manner, we have seen uh, uh, the flag of Russia in the crowds and uh, even among some of the the military who were parading Ouagadougou this morning, uh, some of them clearly uh, are calling for a collaboration with Russia, which Damiba was very reluctant to, to sign up for. Um, so that would be a second um, claim that is transpiring from the communication from the junta. Um, Beside that, a second uh, claim that a third claim that they advance in the communication is pretty much close to the very first one: the fight against jihadism in Burkina. They are projecting uh, some sort of a how to bring people back, the internally displaced people back to their places, and they talked about uh, the misery and the suffering they have witnessed. Uh, on the battleground because uh, Captain Traore Ibrahim himself and his men have been fighting. He has been fighting side by side with his men uh, against the jihadists. And uh, he is reporting that there's a lot of a, um, a lot of a disturbing um, things happening to the Burkina Bay in the countryside that he has seen with his own eyes, people dying of hunger, people um, uh, having to eat leaves, people having to 
eat wild leaves to survive because there's no food. The jihadists systematically burn crops. They systematically kill uh, cattle or chase them away. So the people who are left behind, who have not been able to run to the major cities, mm -hmm. who are left behind are pretty much dying of hunger. And uh, he couldn't bear that. He and his men could not bear that. And uh, they have been um, making a lot of recommendations on how to resolve that problem. And another element is that Damiba is not giving them the weapons to fight. That for some logistic reasons, he has seen some of his men die. Some of the men who died, who fought alongside of him, had died simply because they were lacking basic necessities. And one example that is quickly pointed out is uh, uh, the burning down of uh, 80 lorries which were carrying food or primary necessity toward uh, um, a zone that is very remote. And uh, the helicopter which was uh, flying over the convoy at some point returned to Wagadugu claiming that it did not have fuel. And uh, minutes later, the convoy was ambushed. And up to today, this happened just last week. Up to today, we don't know how many people died among the civilians. Mm -hmm. uh, the official communication talks about uh, 11 uh, uniformed men dead and 50 missing civilians. They did not give us the exact number of uh, dead civilians. According to the official communication, no civilian died, but they are rather missing and they are 50. This adds to, uh, to many, many, many other uh, defeats that uh, the military has recorded over the course of the 88 months, the eight months of uh, rule by Colonel Damiba. So those are among others, the reasons advanced by Co uh, Captain Traore Ibrahim and his men to, uh, to, to come back to Ouagadougou and uh, claim power back. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned people calling for the diversification of Burkina's uh, partners in the fight against the jihadists and inviting the rapprochement with Russia, which is basically right. a similar situation that we saw or that we are seeing in Mali, which means that somehow there's a big segment of the population that wants the distance between France and their respective countries, so either Mali or Burkina. What do you think of that? Obviously, a lot of uh, Burkina Bay people have lost trust in France, and uh, the French authorities have not been able to work in the sense of reestablishing that trust. So most Burkina Bay people would uh, uh, definitely attribute most of the failures to France, which is the readily available scapegoat. Uh, I myself and uh, a couple of uh, uh, academic friends have done some research on the fake news phenomena pertaining to France and its uh, um, anti-terror fight in the Sahel. And what came out of that is that uh, most people do not understand uh, what kind of a relationship, bilateral relations exist between uh, France and uh, their countries. And they do not understand why is France persistently here? And why are we not leaving? Why are they here and we're not winning this war? That is the primary question that lay person, uh, be it in Burkina Faso or Mali, ask themselves. Why are the French here with all the weapons, with all the technology, and the jihadists are still able to hide in this desert of the Sahel, and they cannot just locate them and destroy them at once. So these are the type of questions that lay people, of course, are asking themselves. 
And uh, a, when politicians who are working with France are not able to really explain or make people understand why it is vital for them to work with France, then the result is that most people just don't have trust in France. There's even a lot of people who believe that uh, France is not playing a fair game. They are, they are supporting our military, but at the same time, they are providing intelligence to the jihadists, or they are providing them with weapons. They are providing them uh, with all kinds of support uh, that allows them to uh, persistently gain ground on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So that is a fact that you can observe in the everyday discourse of most people in Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. And the, the young military officers who are on the battleground are not immune to that kind of discourse. They are also on the social media. They have parents and relatives who are living in our towns and cities. And also with the, rel the relative success of Mali over the past uh, months in terms of uh, you know, getting people to subscribe to the fight, to rally behind the junta in the fight against uh, jihadism. In Burkina, we have not seen a lot of that under the leadership of Damiba because Damiba obviously, and here I'm interjecting my own uh, uh, opinion on it, uh, Damiba had not been able to live up to the occasion so uh, on January 24th, when uh, Damiba um, did the coup and uh, evicted uh, President uh, Kabori, he was applauded in the streets of Ouagadougou. Even civil society organizations, which were not at ease with a military coup, saw it as a, some sort of a dishonorable benevolence in the social transformation of the country. They saw it, this is an, uh, the least of the of two evils, because mm -hmm. although President Kabori was elected and re-elected as the first civilian president who was elected and re-elected in the history of the country, he was not doing well in securing the Burkina Bay. Under, mm -hmm. uh, under Kabori, between 2015, to 2022, early 2022, uh, Burkina lost around uh, 2,000 people in the uh, among its civilians, and it we we had uh, we had recorded about two million internally displaced people, and Kabori was not um, up to the task. So when uh, Colonel Damiba did a coup in January. People supported him, not because they were in favor of the coup, but simply because they believed that he could and would be able to stop the advance of the jihadists. Months later, the result is catastrophic. We're still not in control of over 40% of our national territory. And uh, the major axis of the country, like say from Ouagadougou to Bobo Julasso in the western side of the country, which is actually the second major city, you cannot easily go there. So you should think about it twice before taking that road because jihadists can stop you anytime to control you. And if they find you fit for killing, then they will kill you. And that happens a lot. So since 2014, Burkina Faso has experienced a succession of military coups. In 2014, we saw, you know, the overthrowing of President Blaise Compaore after 27 years. And then from there, we saw two more uh, coups. So could you give us just a brief history of these different regime changes since 2014? Yes, in uh, 2014, the Burkina Bay and the majority went to the street, um, organized under the spearheading the leadership of some civil society organizations, such as Ballet Citoyen, in 
fight against Blaise Compaore, who was the then 27-year president of the country. And uh, Blaise Compaore also came to power back in 1987 after killing um, uh, revolutionary leader Thomas Sankara. So after 27 years of rule, Blaise Compaore was on the brink of revising the constitution and running for an unlimited number of times. And uh, Burkina Bay youth were not in agreement with that. So um, that culminated into the uh, 2024 popular revolution that saw Blaise Compaore uh, kicked out of power and uh, uh, the, they put in place a transitional government that was supposed to lead the country for one year and organize elections. But few months into that transition, in 2015, we had a coup by General Jenjeri, who was a close uh, military leader of, uh, of Blaise Compaore. He almost succeeded because he arrested the then transitional uh, government, key personnel of that government, the president, the prime minister, they were all arrested. But the Burkina Bay civil society organization mobilized in the Swedes to uh, uh, stand against uh, the success of that coup. So General Genjeri obviously failed and was later arrested. And the transition went on till 2015 and uh, we organized general elections when President Kabore won the elections. And while all of this is going on, uh, jihadist terrorists was gaining ground in Burkina. And under the, under the regime of uh, President Kabore, who was one of the uh, first civilian elected leaders of the country, he would go on to win a second term in 2021 only to be uh, deposited in a coup again in 20, January 2022 by Colonel Damiba. And uh, Colonel Damiba was a uh, um, claim that he did this coup simply because uh, Kabore failed to fight properly against jihadism. So mm -hmm. he was gonna take over and organize and fight properly. So, and eight months after Damiba came to power, we now have Captain uh, Traore and his men um, um, organizing uh, yet another coup, the second in, uh, in uh, a year, and uh, the third in uh, less than six years. In 2014, social movements uh, such as Ballet Citoyen played a key role in the removal of President Blaise Compaore. So what is the position of social movements right now vis-a-vis uh, -vis the military coups since 2014, especially vis-a-vis -vis the most recent one? Yeah, in general, a serious organized social um, activist organizations or uh, civil society organizations in Burkina Faso have been uh, close observers of uh, the political evolution of the country. And they have been mostly to the left side of the spectrum, the political spectrum. And uh, in the sense that they were in favor of some sort of a socialist or revolutionary leadership of the country. But over the past five, six to seven years, we have seen the emergence of new social uh, civil society organizations, which do not necessarily subscribe to that kind of a, a political or social sociological vision. In the sense that uh, you now have civil society organizations who are in support of Damiba. You have civil society organizations which were organized expressly to support some political leaders. So the um, civil society organization ecology in Burkina is um, to some extent uh, difficult to make sense of, although the traditional ones are still the most relevant one. When you take civil society organizations such as Ballet Citoyen, their words still mean something. 
but they have been very careful not to comment quickly on what is going on. They called Burkina Bay to restrain from coming out and burning down things, as we have seen yesterday, because most people, um, upon hearing hearing that uh, 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 Colonel Damiba is hiding among the French and that he might be getting support to reverse the coup, people rush to the French embassy seeking to burn it down. In Bobo Julasso, people rushed to the French cultural center to burn it down. Of course, they were not able to do that because the uh, men of Traore intervened and tried to explain to them that this is not the object of uh, the coup. The coup is not here to burn down anyone's um, representation here, but rather to evict uh, an incompetent leader who's Colonel Damiba and replace it with a, a set of young people who have a vision to fight for the liberation of the country. So civil society organizations in Burkina Faso, it's to some extent, you will forgive, you will forgive my French, but it's a mess. Mm. It's a total mess. Um, but at the same time, when you look at uh, uh, certain organization, though they might not have the financial means, um, they might not uh, have access to the major television and radio platforms, but they are invested on social media and uh, they have leaders who um, uh, transpire trash among, trash among their peers. And that is uh, what is holding Burkina Faso together today. It is not uh, the military, it is not uh, the establishment, the, the political establishment, it is not even the religious leaders mm. who um, have lost um, trust in the eyes of most people as well, mm. because most of them would align with a political class. So civil society organizations are battling each other on media, they're battling each other everywhere on, on social media and traditional media. And those are the real heroes here. Those are the ones who are educating the Burkina people on uh, what is good for them, where to go next, what to do next. I've seen uh, leaders of Ballet Citoyen call for people yesterday and even this morning to retain from breaking down uh, establishments which are considered to be French like Portal, uh, um, um, uh, which is a, a gas stations that you find everywhere here in the country. But most people believe that Total belongs to France, then you gotta go burn it down. So um, some civil society organization have been pretty clear about that, that uh, you should not go out to burn anything. You shouldn't, as a matter of fact, you shouldn't even be burning anything at all. But if you want to support the coup, go on, demonstrate, support them, and you don't break anything down. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting because in Senegal last year, uh, when the popular uprising took place in 2021, French establishments and businesses were also the target of the population. So we're talking about uh, the gas station uh, Total. Uh, but also um, the retailer Auchan, uh, Orange, definitely not at the same uh, level of what happened in Senegal in terms of destruction of French uh, businesses. But seeing people trying to burn the embassy and the cultural center is definitely reminiscent of uh, what happened in Senegal uh, last year, which still confirmed this sentiment this francophobia that's been happening all over Africa. As we speak, what are the latest updates regarding the situations in the streets of Waga, but also other parts of the country, but also the, the situation at the French embassy? Uh, um, to begin with uh, the situation at the French embassy, I think uh, people have been kicked out of that place, the new 
strongman uh, Captain Traore Ibrahim had made it clear in uh, latest communique on television that people should refrain from sticking to do those kind of uh, vandalism. And uh, they have also stationed some armed men around those premises. So I think the French embassy is safe. Uh, but across the country, there's a lot of uh, a movement, there's a lot of spontaneous gathering in support of uh, Captain Traore and his men. Because late in the afternoon here in Ouagadougou, around 2 p.m., uh, around, uh, I would say, 1 p.m., there was a lot of conversation about uh, some of the military establishment wanting to take over the leadership because Captain Traore did not declare him as president of Burkina Faso at first. He said that uh, he's leading this coup and in the coming hours and coming days, uh, he will in consultation with uh, everybody decide together who is going to lead the rest, the remaining of the transition. And that ECOWAS should not worry about the agreed upon transitional period that they had established with uh, President Damiba, that the new men will accept and will follow that agenda in uh, organizing election within the next two years, and if not even before the two years. And those were his exact words. And across the country, there's been a lot of mobilization in Kaya, in the extreme um, center of the country, in Bobo Julasso, in um, Waigria, in almost all over the country, there's a lot of mobilization uh, in support of uh, Traore and his men. And this is the moment when the French should actually seek to uh, live up to the occasion, communicate plainly, openly with the people and explain to them that they might not be the enemy here. But if the communication is very offensive and it's is perceived as being offensive, it's really gets people under the nerves and they believe that France is supporting Damiba to come back to power. But I think that situation has quickly evolved and uh, things are settling down. Uh, I think the worst of the fears is behind us uh, because the men were going to affront each other uptown and that was gonna be bloody. So um, that situation has been, uh, I hope, behind us now uh, that we now know who is the leader. Uh, Captain Traore Ibrahim has been declared uh, um, leader of the country. So no other one would uh, is claiming it at the moment. And his men are stationed all over the city. And uh, they have asked the Wagales to just move around to go about their businesses. They have also lifted uh, the curfew, mm. which was established to go from uh, 5 p.m. to uh, 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. So this afternoon they lifted that. Uh, I also read online recently that they lifted uh, uh, the uh, the borders which means planes should be able to fly in and out mm -hmm. and uh, people should be able to cross the borders and come in and out. Do you think there might be still fear that another group would want to take over again, especially given how relatively young the leader of the junta is, Captain Trauer? Is there any apprehensions about his age, his experience, and all of that, do you think that might be a point of contention in the near future? Well, um, I, I'm not, I have no concern about his age. He's 34, but when Captain Tomas Sankara was coming to power in Burkina, and of course that was on a different time, mm -hmm. he was also barely the same age, 33, 34. So... <laughs> Um, his age would not be an issue, but rather his experience in leadership might come to question when uh, traditional uh, politician, career politicians get mm -hmm. in the mix. Or 
even within the army because the Burkinabe army today is very, um, very much divided. And uh, there's a lot of uh, people who are higher ranked than him. But the, the, the thing is that they are not in contact with the men on the ground. Mm. Office colonels and office captains and so on. So it is difficult for someone who is sitting in an office, although they're highly ranked, to be able to mobilize and, uh, and uh, mount a successful coup. So it will, the coming days and, and weeks will uh, determine uh, how and uh, who the captain will call in to, to be with him in terms of uh, leading this country. He had promised that once all of this is settled, he wouldn't mind returning to the field to fight against uh, jihadists. But we have heard that kind of uh, story behind before, and we do, do not take that um, as it is. So the situation, the overall situation in Burkina Faso is very, very complex in the sense that even the short during the short period of time of leadership of uh, Colonel Damiba, a lot of people have benefited from tremendous advantages that they might not be willing to abandon that quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about uh, uh, the legislation of the transitional government and almost 40% of them were people who were handpicked by, uh, uh, by Damiba. And these people were receiving pretty decent salary under these circumstances, you know. Um, a lot of people were, because what uh, Damiba tried to also do is to transform the administration. He appointed a lot of people, including his uh, own colleagues, his own peers, uh, military at key governmental positions. And I don't think the young men already are going to be able to compose with those guys. They're obviously going to try to replace them. And uh, we cannot also forget the career or the establishment, the political, the career politicians who are ready anytime to, you know, um, take up any role provided uh, that it's in their personal interest. So, and uh, I think mm -hmm. the, the fear also comes from the fact that uh, the captain and his men might pursue a similar uh, a political orientation similar to what we have been we, we've seen in Mali. Mm. And if that was to happen, they will isolate themselves. They will isolate the country, and. Uh, it's not going to be easy. So what do you hope happens from this point on? Honestly, my hope and prayers is that um, Captain Traore succeeds in getting everyone to agree that the most important point today is not who sits at Kosiam, who sits mm -hmm. at the presidential palace. It's rather how to make sure that three, four, five millions of people of Burkina Bay who do not have their homes today can return to their homes. The three to four millions of Burkina Bay who do not have access to their farms can return to their farms. The jihadists who are killing every single day are brought to justice or kicked out of the country. Um, that security is returned to the country and that will return to civilian leadership mm -hmm. whereby we have a clear of uh, elections whereby the winner is accepted by all but immediately my wish is that 
in the coming weeks and months that we do not witness this kind of a situation again, that the military uh, remain loyal to, to the country and that they um, uh, have a sense of a nationalism that would allow them to put their personal interests aside and work together in bringing back peace in Burkina Faso. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the career politicians too should uh, think about it twice and find something else to do because obviously <laughs> this is not working. Yes. This is not working. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope also that peace will come back again very soon. So as a tradition, I like to end uh, the episodes with... Uh, uh, less loaded questions. Uh, the first one being, what are your top three dishes? Wow. <laughs> well, uh, it's difficult to say for someone who's been around and around, but mm -hmm. one that I can never, you can never get wrong with me mm -hmm. uh, would be rice with a uh, peanut stew and mm. uh, chicken i believe in senegal you guys call it mafe mafe yes yeah that is uh, a, a dish that uh, um i always uh, you know and i would always uh, fancy uh, if it's well done and um, pretty good awesome Mafia oh. is good. Uh -huh. So that's one. Yeah, and, and a little bit uh, non-Bukinabe dish, but I really like uh, when you do those Brussels sprouts with uh, a little bit of cheese and sauteed, a little bit of a steak on the side. Um, mm. uh, that is uh, um, uh, another dish that I... I, I I love and used to cook a lot when I was in, I was in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And uh, a third, last but not least, and I still fancy that up to tomorrow. And most people would not find it fancy at all, but I really love it. You know, millet porridge. The oh. way I make it. Nice. Um, early in the morning when it's cold and uh, you get that... Uh, a, a seizable um, size of this. Mm -hmm. It's um, um, something I, I I really enjoy. So that's excellent. So in in Senegal we call that well. There are two things uh, or two names. One is fonde, which is millet porridge with sour cream mixed in it, mm -hmm. and then there is also la, which is which is a uh, millet porridge with uh, basically yogurt on top mm -hmm. um what is, do do you have a name for it uh in in burkina faso right in the western side of burkina um bobo where jula is spoken mm -hmm. uh, we call it uh coco baga mm -hmm. coco baga coco baga uh, yeah in uh in the central side of burkina where Mure is mostly spoken. Uh -huh. We'll call it Bere. Bere. Say it again. Bere. Okay. Bere. Cool. And then top three novels. <laughs> or it could be books of, you know, other, other, other books that are not novel, history books, I don't know, theory well, books. <laughs> it's it's um it's difficult again to um uh, to point out but i'm thinking quickly a novel that has i read a long time ago but uh it's still a novel that i would take and read again is uh the, the french title is uh le soleil des indépendances mm. by amadou kuruma amadou kuruma it's and, a classic and, uh, it's a it's a very classic. This is a yeah. book that uh, um, 
it's time timeless. It when is you, today. You still see the how the post colony mm -hmm. is, and it's like he had the you know the, those earlier years of uh, the independencies and mm -hmm. the, the things that he talked about the loss of integrity, the loss of a uh, our 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 integrity as as African of up, our uprightness, you know, is still very very relevant. Um, True. Another classic I always recommend to uh, students in the U.S. in particular who want to learn about uh, um, Africa. Sometimes the classic Nigerian novel "Things Fall Apart." Mm. Which is always, uh, always with me. Achebe. Achebe. Mm -hmm. Um, a, another one that I have recently um, seen and bought again. I bought it before, read it, and lost it, and I saw it and bought it. Is Shutas uh, <laughs> by Norbert Zongo. Oh, uh, Norbert Zongo. Mm -hmm. The journalist from Burkina Faso. And yeah. Uh, was killed in 1998 under unclear yet to be clarified circumstances mm -hmm. and uh, of course although he was a journalist his writing is hyper hyper political yes but one non-fiction book that i always have with me is um, the on um, the past colony by ashil mbembe ashil mbembe uh, mm -hmm. i I'm trying my best to read everything Ashila Mbembe. I've been watching his talks and everything. I think he he is quite uh, a brain of our generation, of our age, of our mm -hmm. days, of our era. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, I, 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 I look up to a lot and Another one that I always, always, always want to read, have not read as I want to, is Felwyn Saar. Felwyn Saar. Mm -hmm. I recommend Felwyn. His poise, his very understanding of the global context in which Africa mm -hmm. is navigating today. And he's not quick to take positions that are just very extreme with big words to you know the way certain thinkers do he put it simply and it is so touching that uh, um, the lay person can understand him mm -hmm. but scholars can also uh, understand him and I think he's a journey yeah. across different um, academic uh, realms inform that and of course this is a man who is very 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 grounded in his uh, Senegalese tradition and culture and mm -hmm. I like that yeah uh, I definitely also recommend his book Afrotopia uh, which is an excellent uh, monograph and I, I, I wanted to also say Lasan that I've been trying to reach out to Professor Membe to invite him to the Africanist. So if if you hear this, uh, Professor Ashil Membe, so this is an open invitation to you to come to the Africanist and share more about your work. <laughs> if anybody of his friends, some people who are like close to him, uh, hear this message, please feel free to transmit it to him. Uh, we hope to have him and Philip Winsar to uh, to the Africanists soon. That would be a big, big, big treat uh, to the audience. And uh, those of us who love the work, to hear them talk about it is, um, you know, that's all, all what we want. Mm -hmm. But, you know, those of us who are on the continent here, most often we don't get to interact with them directly, but we interact with their works online. Mm -hmm. The talks and mm -hmm. uh, have them on a platform like uh, this would be uh, a wonderful thing. Yes. So 
we heard it all, uh, Professor Phil Winsar and Professor Ashil Membe and others, right? Really, uh, we we hope to have them on the Africanist sometime soon. And then the last one, top three places. Well, um, there's a lot of a lot of places I, I would love to travel to, and uh, one of them is uh, actually. Um, South Africa. I'm always fascinated mm -hmm. by the history of this country. And uh, although the recent development of the you know race history of South Africa is now super encouraging for um, uh, Sahelian uh, brother like myself, but it's a place that I have always wanted to uh, to visit. I don't have a specific a specific town or city in South Africa that uh, mm -hmm. I am interested in, but the southern region all the way to Botswana uh, is a place that I am I'm, I'm eager. And anytime I got an invitation, I have some good friends down in uh, in in Botswana, and uh, that's you know that South Africa is that place that I find very very fascinating and would love to visit someday. Okay. Secondly, I would love to visit uh, the new museum in uh, in Dakar, mm. uh, and uh, I think Dakar has been a departing point for Pan Africanism, and still is to some extent a radiating point where a lot of uh, ideas are matured, being worked. Um, those of us who are uh, deep in the in the Sahel, we always look at Dakar as a, an intellectual, uh, intellectually vibrant place where, you know, you can go and straighten up things, you know. So, I am looking forward to some opportunities, and I actually got invited to uh, uh, a conference in December, and hopefully, I get to. Uh, to fulfill that wish i hope so too i uh yeah. that's 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 uh that's my city and i would love to beside that conference to to invite you there and show you around you know okay. <laughs> the seafood and and all of that and the the chebujan you know absolutely so we, we yeah we should we should plan a dakar trip together then uh, okay. um maybe this upcoming summer inshallah okay. <laughs> I will take you up on that. <laughs> yes, you should. <laughs> and then, okay, so the last one, Venezuela. Mm. It looks a little bit counterintuitive, but I'm drawn to the fact that there is some sort of a anti-imperialist sort of a struggle going on there. I want to understand. I want to learn from that side of the world how to some extent they're standing up to um, imperialist ideas or imperialist mm -hmm. persons. Um, not that I'm espousing uh, the ideologies, but I would love to learn what is going on there. What kind of struggles are the youth in places like Venezuela uh, facing? And mm -hmm. what kind of similarities are there with what they are fighting against and what we're doing here, what we're attempting to do here in terms of uh, trying to build a nation, stabilizing our politics, getting leadership that will take us toward um, a certain um, destination, mm -hmm. um, giving us a political orientation that is new and different from what has been tried and failed. I don't know much about this, this country, but uh, I am fascinated by everything that is happening there. Mm. And on that note, thank you very much, my friend Lasan. This was a pleasure, uh, and it is always a pleasure to uh, talk to you about current political issues on the continent, but also about your research. And I hope that you come back uh, soon. So this is a pleasure. And for those who are listening to us, uh, Lasan is in the job market, uh, a great scholar, great researcher. Uh, so you can reach out to him.
if there's any opportunities that comes up uh, in your respective institutions. Uh, you can also see his uh, contact information in the episode description. You can also reach out to us, uh, The Africanist uh, Podcast, if you have a new book or if you have uh, a you know research project or article that you think uh, would be of interest to the Africanist audience and we would love to uh, have you on the podcast to share more about your research. Lasan, again, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I give you guys rendezvous for another special guest on the Africanist. In the meantime, uh, stay safe and healthy and I will talk to you soon. Luttons pour la paix Kondiamo Africa Mom Lainia Manejamo Africa Moi sonyo natange Africa